tú me pones un, un éxito. Si, si tú no quieres hablar conmigo, dímelo para yo no llamarte ni molestarte, porque nada más quedaba tú. Real talk. Real people. Real stories. The He's Just Podcast. Yeah! Welcome, everyone, to another He's Just Podcast. I'm your host and founder of the He's Just a Social Worker movement, Jules Dujay, with another amazing show for you today. But before we get started, I want to remind everyone that this platform was built because way too often, as people, we were overlooked or labeled. But this is no longer our plight and our fight is for anyone and everyone who feels a need to be understood. We are strong as individuals, but unstoppable when we unite. You know, according to John Hopkins, there are about 1.6 million people that are diagnosed with Crohn's disease. Crohn's disease is believed to be a result from a combination of genetic, environmental, and sometimes immune system factors. Treatment often involves medications to reduce inflammation manage symptoms, and suppress the immune response. Living triumphantly means embracing life's changes, the challenges with resilience, courage, and determination. It involves overcoming obstacles, pursuing goals with passion, and finding fulfillment in both victories and setbacks. Today's guest, Makeda Amor Wade, is a successful sought-out-after, award-winning, multi-state social worker, certified professional coach, motivational speaker, and three-time international best-selling author for the book, Crohn's Interrupted, Living Life Triumphantly. Makeda is a dynamic and motivational leader who has become an expert in managing life as a Crohn survivor and thriver. She has over 30 years of experience gracefully living and teaching others to live the possibilities lifestyle. She teaches you how to live, survive, and thrive through whatever challenges you may experience. Makeda holds an MS in Human Services Administration and is an LMSW with a specialization in children and family counseling. She is a certified hypnotherapist, mental health first aid first responder, professional life coach, and has been in the field for over 30 years. Aside from this, she holds various passions in many different areas. She's researched in black culture, as well as participates on the executive board for her chapter Pi Pi Omega in Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Inc. An amazing woman she is. Makeda, welcome to our show. Thank you for having me. For us, it's truly an honor. And once again, tell us a little bit about what you're working on. Introduce yourself. Well, my name is Makeda Amora Wade, and I am Crohn's Interrupted. And I say Crohn's Interrupted because there is no cure. So all I can do is deal with this lifelong diagnosis and interrupt it as many ways as possible. I'm a courageous coach having courageous conversations because I talk about things that others are afraid to deal with. I'm your possibilities lifestyler because I help people to consider all of the possibilities regardless of what some of their setbacks may be. Tell us a little bit about social work 
And how do you manage and do all the things that you do as a Chrome survivor? Well, that's an interesting question because I believe that with social work, the only thing that's constant is change. Um, change is required of us as, um, as social workers. It's required of the people that we work with. Um, it's required when you have goals that you set, how do you do that behavior modification to get to the solution? So in having Crohn's and being a social worker, you know, there are times when I am having a flare um, or when I've had surgery and it takes a great deal of energy and time to get back on my feet. So during those times, I usually just let people know, I try to be as transparent as possible and let people know, you know, I'm having a flare and hopefully this will be over soon and we can get back to um, the work that we have to do. Well, big up to you and big up to the clients who you service, who are open to understanding some of the challenges that you are sharing. Oftentimes when we are in scenarios such, the presumed situation is that we are concerned about the well-being of our clients and we're concerned about how they were perceived us because they're trusting us to deal with their situation so big up to you and obviously big up to them is that part of your treatment plan when you first begin you begin that worksheet or that conversation saying this is how we will work if you see any reactions from me in this way this is what i may be dealing with is that something that you try to do with clients well, yes, I, I believe in being transparent. Um, I, many times people have said to me, why do you tell people that you have Crohn's? Why do you tell people that you have an ostomy? Well, I think that when you can be transparent and uh, honestly, I have battled with Crohn's disease for over four decades. So mm. when I was diagnosed, this was not a commonly known disease with as many treatment options that, as they have today. So for me, in my community, it was unknown. It was unknown to African-Americans. It was unknown to people of color um, because it, it was considered a European disease. And so many of the symptoms that I had were not even considered. So I think it's important to be transparent with the people that I'm working with um, who are dealing with chronic issues, um, not all necessarily Crohn's or ostomies for that matter, but who have obstacles that they're trying to overcome. And I let them know that, you know, we can't do everything in a day. It's everything takes time. And over time, I may or may not be able to respond due to my own health conditions. Mm. And that has been met with great a great deal of empathy um, and understanding. So I think that I have, um, I'm in a good place. You know, being transparent obviously has helped that, but I think it also shows the character of woman that you are, the power that you let off and energy that your clients, you're almost working at this from a team's perspective where you both are saying, this is our plan. And if we hit a roadblock, whether it's you or me, I got your back. Really do appreciate that. When you tell us a little bit about this illness. I know when you and I first talked about this, 
you say you were diagnosed when you were 16 and Crohn's disease is usually known to be a Jewish or Jewish population kind of situation. Tell us a little bit about an African-American woman having to deal with such and how you came to understand that you were dealing with this illness. Well, when I was 16, actually, I was diagnosed quite by accident. Um, at that point, they thought I had appendicitis that had turned into peritonitis and literally had infected um, my blood. And I had my father had gone to our dentist and he was explaining to him the challenges that I was having. And he said, well, I have someone that you should go and see, which was a friend of his. Um, and uh, his his friend said to me, young lady, you need to be seen by a surgeon. So he called a, a personal friend of his, and it was Dr. Harold P. Freeman, who was one of the number one doctors um, dealing with cancer in New York City. He actually has a whole center now that's, that he dedicated to his work. Um, he was the one who actually figured out that I had Crohn's disease and came up with a treatment plan for me and literally saved my life. He's mm -hmm. the reason that, you know, I was given a second chance beautiful story and beautiful work, obviously. For those that don't understand, you know, Crohn's disease impacts in so many different ways. There is a psychological aspect to this as well. This inflammatory disease is chronic and it's ongoing in various ways. Obviously, the symptoms, you get cramps, weight loss, fever, anemia, it is very difficult to deal with. You mentioned surgery. Have you had surgeries and how many of you can share with us? Oh my, yeah, I've had, uh, I've had upwards of 24 surgeries. Um, each one attempting to save my life and, and make me whole again. And uh, it's been, it's been difficult. It's been challenging. And I have to tell you that it's been the mindset and de the determination and the outlook of my parents, my family, my friends, um, people who have cared for me over the years, that's, that, that has really proven to be a part of my recovery. And I think that um, in speaking with my doctors, they explained to me that my case of Crohn's disease was so severe that, that the promise of death was the only constant with every surgery. Mm. So, as a, as a young person, you can imagine how devastating this was. I mean, I think I was a junior in high school. Um, I had regents exams coming. I had, you know, getting ready for high, you know, college. You have to go to your college tours. And um, you have a doctor coming in telling you that, why, why bother study? You're, you're, you're probably not going to make it. Mm. What? <laughs> so despite being devastated by that, my mother was always someone who prayed. She taught me how to pray. She taught me how to have faith. Mm. She taught me how to have hope. And, you know, I, I had to make the conscious decision that I wanted to live, that I wanted to survive, that I wanted to thrive, and that I would have to become determined regardless of how many days I spent in the hospital. Sometimes it was months. Mm. Um, and I would have to literally come out on a walker learn to gain my strength back, learn to walk again, be excited about being able to brush my teeth and take a shower on my own, 
And this seemed to be with every hospitalization. So every, every time I went in, I just set a new set of goals and aspirations for when I came out. And that's what gave me something to look forward to and to live for. We've had superstars on this show, without a doubt. We've been blessed ourselves to see encouraging people on this platform. But by far, you are definitely on top of that list. Just to hear you say 24 surgeries, willing to put in the work every single time. How many times would the average person say, this is enough? How many times would the average person say, I just tried everything, I just can't give no more? We are blessed to have you on this platform and we are honored to understand that there are people like you living in this world who are making this world a better place. So we have gratitude for you. We show you honor and respect in that way because you at an early age began and have continued to put the fight to thrive and survive. So we really do appreciate that from you. Now, what is a typical day for you? As far as like everyone else, you get up, you go to work, you do all these things. Now, is there a specific diet? And I don't wanna get too much about the illness because there's so much great things that you've done about the survival. But I want to be able to let our listeners understand how difficult it is for you day to day and how beautiful you are and how you continuously are pushing the envelope. That's why I keep asking you these questions. And I'm very sorry about that. But I want to make sure that our listeners understand this is some this is not some ordinary thing. This is nothing to play with. So please tell us a little bit what an ordinary day for you. When you're healthy and you're ready to go, what does that look like? Well, I, I thank you for that question. And I certainly thank you for your kind words. Um, when I'm well, I'm like uh, the Energizer Bunny. I take care of my mom who has dementia. I work a full-time job. I deal with my, my Slayer Stress community in the evening, my possibilities mm -hmm. lifestyle. Mm -hmm. I sit on uh, the board of the Schomburg. I sit on the board, the executive board of my, in my sorority. Um, and I mentor young women who are, who are new to the sorority. So I would basically in the morning, get up, shower, get dressed. Um, by eight o'clock, I've already looked in on my mom, made sure that she's had all that she needs for the day. I've cooked the night before, so she has dinner and lunch. Um, she has a 24 hour home attendant. And um, when I'm done with her, of course, I feed her pets. She has a bird and a cat. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I'm back home to sign into work. So I sign in at nine o'clock. Um, I'm fortunate that I've been able to telework right now, which I will be going back into the office. But for right now, um, I telework and I'm basically working on curriculum all day from nine to five so that I can support the Child Welfare Unit and the Juvenile Justice Unit uh, for New York City. Keep doing that work, girl. Let me ask you a quick question. Sure. Um, when there's a scenario for a newcomer, a person who was recently diagnosed, what would you advise someone who is hit with this news? Well, <laughs> receiving a Crohn's diagnosis can be really scary, right? 
And most people believe that Crohn's disease is just a bathroom disease. But, you know, thanks to the commercials and things that's going on currently on TV, you can get somewhat of a different perspective about living and surviving with the Crohn's disease diagnosis. Um, as a Crohn's interrupter myself, I recommend that anyone receiving a Crohn's diagnosis create a plan. And that's something that I wrote about in my book. Plan stands for prepare, let go, ask for help, and never give up. Mm. Um, when you prepare, I want you to find a doctor whose specialty is Crohn's disease, right? Because you may, you may have been diagnosed by a gastroenterologist. However, not all gastroenterologists are specialists in Crohn's disease. Or do they, are they up to date on the various treatments um, and managing the disease? So you need a doctor who is up to, um, uh, on the, up, up, up to the latest research that's been done, up on the latest medications. They use um, biologics now to help reduce inflammation. And you need a doctor that's patient, someone who's understanding and knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. And you need to go to him with questions. Don't just go to the doctor and say, well, you know, hey, doc, this is what's happening. You have to really be honest about, you know, what you're doing and how you're managing so that they can help you. That's their job. Your job is to help them help you. Mm. Let go. So be honest with your medical provider about your symptoms and the support that you might need because everyone who has Crohn's is different. Um, some people it's severe. Some people it's mild. Um, you need to tell your doctors everything that you're going through, everything that you're experiencing. Um, you want to keep a journal, right? Because you want to document every symptom that you have. You want to track when you have that experience or that discomfort. You want to identify what the trigger is so that you know, you know, when you're having that conversation with your doctor, you could let them know. Um, and most importantly, you want to you want to document the directions that the doctor has given you, right? Because sometimes when you're in the office, you can't really um, take in everything that that he's saying to you. So I always go in with the notebook and I always say, I'm going to write down these things that you're telling me to do. And then at the end, I recap. Um, and then never give up, you know, never give up. I created a, a self-care circle of friends, family, and even sometimes strangers, people that I work with who, who can be there for me when times get difficult. I mean, you get all the information that you can on your diagnosis so that you can have an honest conversation with your doctor about your concerns. And then you have your feel good self-care regimen. So mm -hmm. when you have that self-care circle, these are people who understand what you're going through and can go through and they're there to support you. Well, let's get a courageous coach. <laughs> let's, let's, just, let's just talk about this plan. Cause I, you know, this, this uh, acronym is so easy and attainable for people to kind of touch. And you mentioned that it is in your book. Anyone who wants to achieve their goals in life needs a plan. It's P-L-A-N. P is for prepare. L, let go of shame. A, ask for help when needed. And N, never give up. You also go in to prepare for the unexpected. Let go of shame for what you could have or should have or would have done. And ask for help because none of us are on an island and no one needs to exist in isolation. So you talk a lot about team. How important is team? And I know you talked about the support plan, 
But walk us through how important when you are working with women or men who come to you for support around this or any other chronic illness and you unveil the plan. Tell us what you do to kind of set them up for success. Uh, it starts with honesty. Um, honesty, because people need to understand what you're dealing with. Um, if you are, have invitations to things and you don't show up, you know, they they will understand why you didn't show up, not just that you didn't care enough to show up. Um, when you have relationships with people, it's only fair to let them know what they're dealing with because it gives them an opportunity to say, hey, I didn't sign on for this. I might not want to do this. And you need to know that. You need to know that up front. Mm. Um, it's also important because when, when you have a working relationship with people, and I'll, I'll just give you an example. Um, I was at work one day and, um, we were having a, a lunch gathering and for whatever reason, I started to have a flare and I soiled my clothes and I said, Oh boy, what am I going to do? Because I'm working on 29th street. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what am I going to do? So I'm in the bathroom. I always keep my cell phone on me. I call the coworker. I said, Hey, listen, I need a change of clothes. She says, well, where do you want me to get them from? I said, if they're in my trunk, I need you to walk down the street, go to the garage. I'm going to call the garage, tell them to bring my car downstairs. They brought it down. She got the clothes. She brought them back. I, you know, I cleaned up, I changed my clothes and I actually stayed at work and went on with the rest of my day. Um, when I told my husband about this, he says, oh my God, I would have left immediately. Like, there's no way I would have stayed. I, how could I stay at work like that? And I said, well, that's why you have to be prepared. <laughs> mm. And this is what I call a plan for real. And having support in that way, you know, you gotta have those trusted confidants and obviously you've alerted a team. There's yes. an army out here working, dealing with this. Tell us about your book, A Smash, obviously. Tell us what you want our listeners to understand without giving too much about what's in there. So with Crohn's Interrupted, um, and I've had people ask me, well, I don't have Crohn's. Why do I need to read this book? And I say, well, the book is about a journey of how you don't give up when you have obstacle after obstacle after obstacle put in your way. It's about how you pursue and push through it's about how you stay insistent, consistent, and persistent to reach your ultimate goal. That's really what the book is about. And so if you could read that book and walk away and say, I didn't get anything, I'll give you your money back. Because I guarantee you, you're going to think about life differently when you read that book. You know, you're a game changer, a motivational speaker. Tell us about some of the work that you've done and what are some of the plans that you want to unleash on this world? Well, in addition to the books, I also made um, classes. I created classes that go along with the books. So there's Crohn's Interrupted Living Life Triumphantly. There is Crohn's Interrupted Seven Steps to Love Your Ostomy, which uh, that was another title that my doctor said, love your ostomy, what are you talking about? Who's gonna, what are you, who's gonna love an ostomy? Are you crazy? I said, well, you know, if you follow my plan, you will love your ostomy because you'll recognize that your ostomy is your life giver. 
Mm. Your ostomy has saved your life. Your ostomy has allowed you to still be here, right? Um, and then of course I created Slayer Stress because what I learned as a Crohn's interrupter is stress is the number one proxy killer. It's the underlying cause of inflammation. And inflammation is what the triggers are for Crohn's, right? Mm. So mm. if you slay your stress, you not only uh, reduce your level of inflammation, but you also um, can you also can resolve some other medical issues that you may be having. I love your answer because it's all about perspectives. One word can mean different things for different people, and you've used the word to make it work, to make it real. Love and respect for that. So when we're talking about you as a community leader and you're out here being that change agent, spirituality is a big piece of what you do. How do you infuse and do you infuse the two into your courageous coach work? Absolutely. Um, and it's interesting that you should ask me that because um, someone said to me after reading my book, hey, I didn't know you were religious. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I said, well, I'm not actually religious, but I'm very spiritual. And mm -hmm. I, I do have faith. I'm very intentional about giving real life experiences, information and hope. And, and for people to understand that the possibilities lifestyle where the possibilities are endless was born because with God, all things are possible. Mm. And so it doesn't mean that you won't have a flair. It just means that there's possibilities that you can live that life after your flair and that you can still be successful and that you can still have your goals and you can still accomplish your goals. And it's not talk about it, be about it. Three time international bestseller. I want to say that part of the work here is about timing luck and obviously your belief in yourself but i also want to stress in putting your book together through this whole journey of your illness and trying to battle in these surgeries how difficult was it for you to put your book together um well i'm going to be perfectly honest with you I recognize that Crohn's disease may be a life sentence, but it's not a death sentence. Mm. And I prayed about it. My doctor says, I need you to do this. I encourage you. I support you. I went to sleep one night and I woke up with the outline. Mm. It literally took me three weeks to put it together. And um, after putting it together, after they did the reviews and everything, it was ready to go. Mm. So normally where you would have to plan out and, and do several iterations, the editor reviewed everything and they said, mm, I think this is ready to go. Wow. So it's all divinely ordained, I believe. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that's pretty much how I live my life. Well, we are already understanding from you that the three-time bestseller, international, and all of this, those are nice accolades. But we're get, you know, gathering from you that what's most important is changing and saving lives. Why is that most important versus being recognized as an author and all these things? 
Well, because I think that everybody has a story to tell, and I think everybody's story has value. I think we all have value. I think we all have something that um, has been difficult for us in our lives, and we have overcome it, and we have overcome it successfully. And so I do encourage people to tell their stories, to be transparent, to be honest, because it's your story to tell. Don't let someone else tell it for you. Mm. Now, these doctors that you've met throughout the years, um, probably you've seen them change the medication regimen, their style of treatment. Has any of that changed in the course of treatment throughout the years? And in which way? Oh my gosh, absolutely. Um, when I was first diagnosed, I was being given, I think it was called Azacol. Um, mm -hmm. And I graduated to what they call a biologic, which is like Remicade or Simsia or um, they have Stellara now, mm -hmm. um, Skyrizi. Those are, those are all called biologics. Um, and some of them deal with the TNF factor. Most of them deal with inflammation. Some of them are specific to just your digestive tract, like Antivio. Um, so the medications and the treatments over time have really, um, I guess, become more known. They mm -hmm. also recommend, like, well, for some people, for some people, I'll say, um, gluten-free diets, you know, getting rid of the... Um, uh, milk products. So, so no milk products. Um, I drink almond milk, um, not having like carbonated beverages, avoiding things like, um, a lot of sugar. You have to avoid the sugar. You can still have some sugar, but you know, you don't want to overdo it because sugar actually causes inflammation. Mm -hmm. At least that's what they tell me. <laughs> um, so I'm very mindful of that. Um, and so, yeah, they, they used to use chemotherapy drugs like MP6. I mean, I've taken that. So there's a lot of different things that have improved with the medication and the treatment of Crohn's disease. You know, we're tapping into all your gifts and we're up and down with this because you do so much. And on this platform, we always like to tell people that you're more than just you're more than just a social worker and more than a leader, more than an author. There is something about your book here. You're, you're, you're showing us the techniques, how to take control of life, how to change the way we view situations to become advocates, right? To be lighthearted, you know, to, to, to find humor in probably in these different kinds of situations. But when you talk about not backing down, what does that mean, a woman from the Bronx, what does that mean for you? Well, that's that's an interesting concept because many a times, I mean, if you ever spoke to any of my doctors, they would just shake their head and say, well, <laughs> we already know. If we're coming in there to talk to you, we better have it all together because I question, I ask, always respectful, and I consider myself a member of the team. So I do my research and I come in and I talk to them about, you know, this is what I found and... Um, in your professional opinion, what do you think is the best way to handle this situation? Mm. So I always present and then I let them tell me what they think is the best way to manage. Mm -hmm. 
So we, we definitely have a conversation and they know that I expect to be a part of the team, that they are not just going to, you know, prescribe. Well, you are extremely versed. I don't think you don't want to play with, obviously. So for sure, you come in ready, lock and loaded. Tell us a little bit about your other job, curriculum writing. What is this about? Uh, well, I, I am a curriculum developer. I love doing that. Um, when I started out, I was in child welfare and I was actually the worker who went out to the homes to do the interviews and to um, help to keep the children of New York City safe. Mm -hmm. um, and I graduated to become a trainer. And I felt that I would be more useful in the position as a developer because I wanted there to be an equitable distribution of families in our curriculum. Not all of our families are poor, um, uneducated. Uh, this this uh, child welfare system often had our children as being disenfranchised. So when we looked at how we trained workers to do interviews and to interact with our families, it was important to me to be able to deal with them in a respectful way, in an empathetic way, um, you know, and to make sure that it was a, a, the transfer of learning occurred not just with our workers, but also with the families, right? Because if you're going into a home and you see that there's something wrong, you want to provide a resource. You want to give information and, and educate the family on a better way so that you don't have to continue to be in their lives. You know, that is critical for us minorities because many a times when we are working with state, federal officials and whatnot, there's a presumed understanding that we're at the loss, that we're at the negative. So it should be a positive light to see someone who A, is going to verse them on what the right situations look like. But it sounds to me that during the time of your visits, there were some moments that you had to make tough decisions. Can you tell us a little bit about those tough decisions and how did that make you feel? Um, well, th there were times when I have had to go out and speak to families about children being removed. Um, and to be perfectly honest with you, it wasn't a good feeling. Um, cause I couldn't imagine a family member of mine being taken away for a period of time and, and, and having to ask permission to see them and ask permission to engage, um, or even to have someone dictate when and where I would be able to, to see them. So um, that was difficult. It was very difficult. Um, but I, I did have some successes with family members where one case I remember in particular, there was a dad who um, his, his daughter was going to be, the rights were going to be terminated. And I actually went out and I did a search and I found him. And uh, he was very, he was really very, Nice. Um, one of the things that he had a criminal record, mm -hmm. however, he was home because he had done his time and, you know, he he had every right to be involved with his child. His mother was the foster parent. She felt that he was ready. Um, he lived with her off and on. Um, and so I actually went out and found him and I explained to him what was happening. Um, and I told him, you know, if you want your mother to be the permanent guardian, there are papers that you have to sign. You need to go into court, you know, and everything. And he, he thanked me profusely. He said, because 
you know, the, the, the people who uh, initially helped me to find him, <laughs> crazy story, he told me, don't come back there. <laughs> he said, don't come, you don't come back here, I'll come to you. He mm-hmm. said, this is not safe. He said, however, you know, I've already let them know that, you know, you came in goodwill. And so you'll, you'll be okay, mm-hmm. you know? And that was in my early days. I had no idea, you know, how, how concerning it could, could get. Mm-hmm. But um, that was me trying to be the good social worker. Mm-hmm. Many a times when we're doing this work, especially the field work, there's um, an understanding that there is always danger. And I know that for social workers and people who are first responders, that's probably something we don't really think about so much because we're really concerned with the outcome. We're really concerned with the bridging with the filling in the gaps, especially for us if we're thinking about working to shape our own people to become better, to become more educated about the proper steps. Mm -hmm. Because again, one chance, second chance, and these things continue to happen. It is very difficult. And thank you for sharing that story, because I think that if he is going to listen to this, he will remember that that opportunity that was given to him may have changed his life. So you, once again, have come in to do something that may change for the right reasons. Now, as you began your training and moved on to develop the curriculum, is there a broad understanding that that curriculum writing is like generic or do you have an opportunity to be creative with it based on the stories of the field that you already know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Those are our case scenarios and we have opportunities to walk the new, newly hired uh, caseworkers through the process of engaging with families, speaking to them, doing an investigation, looking at how um, families and children, well, children who are going to school how they're showing up and how they can put support services in place for them so that they no longer have to do a removal. You know, it's interesting because as people of color, we are often tasked in situations that many a times pits us against our own people. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we always hear, why would you do this? We're the same kind, we're the same color, we're the same race. And you're trying to educate them on what that situation is. Can you tell us a little bit about the Department of Children and Families in that instance? Is there something that you can share to kind of explain the process and why it is important many times to make those tough decisions? Well, actually, they are changing some of our regulations right now. So I I couldn't give you what the end game is, but we are definitely in the process of implementing some new uh, guidelines for our children and families. Um, the, the New York State has recognized uh, through their own research that um, some of the practices that we've had have disenfranchised our families and that uh, children of color have been at, at a, a disproportionate measure in care, in forced to care, been removed. And so they are putting different policies and procedures in place and have put them in place to lessen the amount of removals that are done and to put in more of the resources um, for the families. So they have things like the CARES program, 
Mm -hmm. um, and the FAR program. Um, and these are programs that were developed to put the resources in and keep the children in the home. So many a times people do come back to you to say, you know, I didn't understand this piece here. Like, why does it say this? And why does it say that? So at some point you still have to interact. What is that like then? Because to some degree is a like a team effort. So what do you do then? Right. So usually that's something that's um, reported to our trainers and then our trainers will come back and we'll have, um, we have feedback sessions mm -hmm. so that we can make adjustments when, when we're able to. Mm -hmm. So when rounds happens, you guys come together and make those decisions collectively. Is there like a voting process? Is it facts over reasons? What are, what are we looking for when we're thinking about that? When things like that happen, it usually goes up the line because that's it's not a decision that could be made at my level or my pay grade. That has to go up the line to to our uh, commission, associate commissioner and, and so on. And mm -hmm. they would then make that decision. Yes, you can do this. Or yes, this is a policy that needs to be implemented. And then we would write based on that. And thank you so much, because I know that the questioning is probably not around the realm that you do, but I think that I wanted my listeners to get a gist that the work of the Department of Children and Families isn't merely one person coming out, having a good day, a bad day, and making a decision. This is a collective. There are steps and levels to this. So I wanted people to kind of understand that. You talked about spirituality a little while ago as something that you hold true to help you throughout difficult times. What else do you do for self-care? Well, I work with Chiron Institute. Um, mm -hmm. They are a naturopathic um, company and they work with sound healing, mm. sound therapy. And we do meditation, um, I do yoga. Uh, we work with the gongs. Uh, they have a whole host of different um, tools at their disposal. And so I, I use them, um, daily to, to stay grounded yes. because this work can be draining. For sure. And now you're dealing with your own situation. So there are times that you, this strengthens and makes you, or helps you kind of develop a routine and structure for your own good. So Absolutely. yes. So, so what I was, what I was thinking now, you are, your women of your sorority, you guys come together. That sounds like something that you also tap into self-care. What, what are, what are the things that you do with these women leaders and you guys are trying to accomplish within your, you know, chapter? Well, um, Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated is all about service to the community, service to all mankind. Mm -hmm. And um, currently I'm serving as lead faculty for the Ruth C. Easley Institute. Um, that's an executive leadership program where we are preparing the women, the scholars in that program to um, hone their executive leadership skills so that they can come out and, and be uh, officers of the sorority. Mm -hmm. um, the sorority has over 10,000 members um, in this region and many, many chapters, I think over 330 chapters. 
And we basically, in each um, catchment area, we go out, we provide service. So we do education, we work with the schools, we do um, social justice, where we do voting uh, registration, um, definitely support businesses in, in the area. Um, so the work, the work is long and fast. Beautiful and big up to your women, big up to the people who stand up for this work to do work for the community, for social justice, for equity and so on. Um, when I'm thinking about this work, do you take on people who have tabbed you to mentor them as they are dealing with a chronic illness? Are, are, are there people that have come across and say, I need support and they look towards you? What, what are some of the things that you offer or try to do for these people aside from coaching? Um, I connect them with the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America and the United Ostomy Association of America, the UOAA. Um, I point them to, and actually just this, I guess it was November or December, they just started a, a group for Black and Latino people who have Crohn's disease. Because as I said before, this was not a disease that was um, affiliated or known to people of color. So they're just beginning the research. They're just looking at the fact that, you know, people of color have more surgeries than white, um, their white counterpart um, who may be diagnosed with Crohn's. Um, the support services have always been there, but it has not necessarily been directed towards people of color because that's not who their target audience has been. Mm. Um, interestingly enough, one of the doctors uh, who... I was talking to him about sharing the book with his um, patients. And he said to me, well, this is going to be for, for people of color, right? And I said, well, why do you say that? And he says, well, you're a black woman. So I'm assuming that it's to help black people. And I said, well, <laughs> that's not exactly why I wrote the book. I mean, I wrote the book to help people who need to have some motivation around chronic illness mm -hmm. to be able to see the possibilities beyond their diagnosis. Um, if you want to put it in a bag, that's fine. Um, Cause I'm all about helping my people. Yeah. Uh, but I think that it was interesting that that was said because all of the services previously have not been for people of color. And that's a great point that you bring out. There is a lot to mention in your answer, but for me, one of the things that I'm thinking about here is colored people now being diagnosed may have been under diagnosed or mm -hmm. not diagnosed at all. And now here comes a woman leader ready to spread news that this may or may not be what they are dealing with. Right. So there are obstacles already there, but how difficult is it for you, as you mentioned in your answer to a understand as a female that this hit you, probably they were thinking that males get it more or not males of color. Now you're representing a movement. What do you feel when someone has said, you don't know anything about it, or how do you know that you're talking about the same thing? Because there are many people who, in this instance, you're writing this for people of color and you spoke up. How important is it for you that they get it right? 
It's very important because I have to tell you, it's it's different. We have a different, um, how can I say this? We have a different level of challenges to deal with because we're not just we're not just dealing with the symptoms of the disease. We're dealing with access to healthcare. We're dealing with access to the best doctors. That we're dealing with access to experts in the field. We're dealing with, you know, there's so much um, that you have to navigate. And, and the less that you know about the disease, the harder it is to find people who are actually like an endocrine specialist, right? Mm-hmm. People say, well, what's that? Well, an endocrine specialist because people who have Crohn's end up being malnourished. Mm. So if you're malnourished, then you don't have the vitamins in your body that you need to, to heal, to function as, as a normal person would, right? And so, you know, you have to have doctors who really understand what the disease is all about so that they can make the proper referral so that you can have the proper access, right? Mm-hmm. Then there's also payment for medication, right? What type of insurance do you have? These infusions are not cheap. They're $20,000 every eight weeks, Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's also important. So these are just some of the things that, that need to be taken into account, into consideration yeah. as a person of color. So get it right and don't get it twisted. For me, I'm also thinking about the journey, right? Because usually you go for a physical, your annual physical, and you're checking depending the age and your level of health, you're probably checking high blood pressure, cholesterol, et cetera. This is very uncommon unless you're showing some signs. And these flares that we're talking about, these flare-ups may disguise themselves as something else, just a bad stomach bug. Yes. Um, It goes and comes. It's just when I eat cheese, I stop doing that. So we have to be careful. How can we alert ourselves to get the checkup that we need to rule this out? Um, I would say go to your gastroenterologist, ask them for a colonoscopy and an endoscopy. Um, an endoscopy goes in through your mouth and down into your, um, through your esophagus and into your intestine. Mm-hmm. And a colonoscopy goes in through your rectum and goes up into your large intestine. So you'll, they'll be able to scope you from both ends um, some of the technology, they may even give you a camera to swallow mm-hmm. and the camera will go through and it'll take pictures and they'll be able to see how inflamed you are. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a number of different things that they can do. There are blood tests that will let them know if there's inflammation, you know, in the blood cells. So there's a number of different things that they can do to help them to diagnose, um, your symptoms. Have you ever come across a situation? I mean, a in your line of work to helping people and dealing with your own and so on is there a situation a patient or patients that remind you to keep fighting for you to also live triumphantly for them because they went through an obstacle you had a difficult situation that you know of that they were dealing with and they have pushed you do you do you have any people like that well actually there was this one woman I, I met her 
um, we were promoting the book signing at the Schomburg and I met her and she said to me, you know, um, I, she says for years, I, I, I didn't know what was wrong with me. I, and my doctors tried to make me think I was just crazy. I kept saying I'm having these symptoms and they kept saying, oh, no, it's probably just this or it's probably just that. And she said, you know, and then I met you and then I found out that, hey, it could be it could be these things. And maybe I should be specific and intentional about asking these questions. And um, she reported back that she was actually diagnosed with Crohn's. Um, she came to the book signing and she said that, you know, it has changed her life. And she was so grateful because now at least she knows what was wrong and she'll be able to get, you know, help and support around that. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you so much for, aside from being the courageous coach, for being that woman leader that's standing up to show these challenges are real, but to also stand up against them. You know, the floor is yours. What do you want our listeners to remember of your journey, of your trek, and how you will continue to push? Tell us a little bit about what you want them to remember about you and your story. Well, first of all, I just want to say that I was chosen to live the possibilities lifestyle where the possibilities are endless. I want you to be encouraged, be inspired, be hopeful because the possibilities are endless and never let anybody tell your story. You tell your story. You're valued, you're loved, you're appreciated and everyone can learn from someone else's situation. So don't keep it a secret. Tell your story. It's a beautiful way to kind of cumulate this amazing show that we had today. Tell your story. Live triumphantly is about finding the strength and adversity to maintain that hope, to proceed through life, through the ups and the downs, do it with pace and grace and optimism. Because on this platform, we won't be overlooked. Too often people try to label us and put us in boxes, but this is no longer. Our plight and our fight is for anyone and everyone who feels the need to be understood. We are strong as individuals, but unstoppable when we unite. Tune in friends to another He's Just a Social Worker show coming to a town real soon near you. We are. Please note that the views expressed here are my own and not a representation of my employers and clients. Thank you for listening. We're always here for you. Just message us and we'll get back to you within 24 hours. Thank you. More than just at He's Just a Social Worker. In memory of my mother, Matilde De La Rosa. This is dedicated to you, mom. Miss you so much. En memoria de mi madre, Matilde de la Rosa, esto va dedicado a ti, mamá. Te extraño mucho.